Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce you my friend, Lyndon J. Roth. She's the founder of LJR Consulting Services and a digital transformation expert. This is something we all need a lot more of. And instead of me going on and reciting her bio, I would love to have Linda herself tell a little bit more about what she does and and what we can learn from her, what we'll be working on today. Thanks very much, Heidi. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. I work primarily with mid-market companies with the executives of those organizations and their concerns about the disruption that a lot of the new digital technologies are having on their industries. And so I guide them through a strategic analysis to determine what they may need and how's the best way to approach the situations within their businesses. As you know, that could be anywhere from bringing them up from a 30-year-old ERP system to putting on a lot of new bells and whistles to the new digital technologies. And so we keep them so they can survive and thrive in this new environment. It's so important. As those of you who've been listening for a while to sort of the digital life balance and digital self-mastery conversation, this is a big problem for a lot of industries. Pretty much every industry is being touched by this. What kind of industries have you worked with the most or where you found the biggest challenges so far? Well, like you said, almost all of them. So recently, I work with a lot of manufacturing and distribution companies. A lot of that is somewhat behind the scenes, but also getting an online presence for them. And recently, I had worked with a company that's an after-sales marketing company for the automotive industry. And as we all know, marketing has become a completely digital industry now. And so we had to bring them up from the best thing that they did or where they had their most value was in the paper postcards they sent out to being a digital organization and using all of the information they had in years worth of databases that they had been accumulating. So it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is more of an organizational change than actually teaching them the technology. Is that right? Yes, it is a big organizational transformation for them. In the people that they have, we talk about their workforce, we talk about their customers, how they need to address their customers, where they need to be on social media if they are. And like I said, some of them, we've got to get the base in. One thing that I think a lot of companies or or a lot of consultants that help people don't really recognize is that if they don't have a good technical foundation, you're not going to be able to build a lot of the new technical bells and whistles on top. That Sometimes that's not the fun work, but you got to get that foundation in and then build on top of that. And then as you've been working with, we also have to think of the people involved. Absolutely. And I think something that's sort of an interesting overlap of where we work years ago, the people that did IT, there was like just the IT department. And if you had a problem, you had to go to the IT department to get anything done. And now there's a certain level of expectation that everybody has a certain level of competency and comfort in the technology, no matter what your role is in the organization. So I'm curious, particularly because we've shared some experience in the automotive area, and my experience was, as I mentioned to you before, I worked for Chrysler Europe years ago in, this was back in the mid-90s, 
developing their internet strategy. And there we were dealing with Salesforce that some of them were sharing one computer or some of them were, you know, a lot of them were still using a dial-up to get connected. Do you find that when you're dealing with larger organizations, there's still a discrepancy in terms of connectivity and the just the infrastructure for people to connect? Most of the time, everybody's got good connection. Everybody's got Wi-Fi and the majority of all the employees are on. Quite truthfully, these days, even a lot of warehouse employees are somewhat digital savvy. As a matter of fact, with the client I'm working with right now, with discussion on the HIS system they're implementing, there's a lot of angst about whether the employees will be able to use the self-service for the HRIS system, something as simple as that. And what's really coming out is that even a lot of the people that come in that are going to be drivers or warehouse employees, because they all have cell phones, smartphones, they have got some level of ability within the technical environment to get on and learn it. They may still want some help in selecting things, but the technology they can use. And we're training warehouse workers every day to use computers to do everything that they need to do. Do you think that they, even though they have a smartphone, do they think of themselves as being tech savvy? No, I don't think they think of themselves as tech savvy, but some basic technology skill level is just inherent in our everyday lives these days. Even with people, because this client's in Southern California, so you have a lot of employees where English is not their first language, but they still understand how to get on the internet and how to look up things. Do you see much happening yet in the AI space? And is there fear around it in terms of sort of fear of being replaced? Or has it not quite gotten to the industries that you're working with? It's very slowly getting there. And I think a lot of times employees may feel that it's going to replace them. But what I see a lot of AI is, especially in larger businesses, is how it's used to interpret all the data they have in databases. And to use some things now, there are some warehouses that are starting to use self-driving vehicles within the warehouse. And so that may have an impact on some people's jobs. But I still think that mostly, especially in a lot of business, AI is going to be more used to help the office worker to help bring more personalization and more detail and better information to the people that work within the organization. I'd have to agree with you there. I mean, there's a little bit of both, but I think that there's there's so many great opportunities to improve the quality of the information by using AI so that we can actually be more efficient at our work. I'm curious if you have any interesting stories of sort of that learning and that shifting process when you're dealing with digital transformation and organization. Do you have any fun stories you can share? Well, there's probably lots of really good ones, but I think I would go back to the automotive marketing company that I was working with in that one of the things that I thought was the cutest was when I first went to talk to them and they showed me around this new building they had just moved into. And this building had been used by a technical company before they bought it. So it had a nice data center in it. And this data center or this room that used to be the data center had glass exterior and it was in the middle of the office. So everybody that walked by could see what was going on in there. And so did they have their servers that had all the data and everything that they did in there? Absolutely not. What they had in there was their printers, their big iGen printers that printed those beautiful postcards that they sent out. 
because that's what they saw as valuable. And the servers that were running all of this were sitting almost in a broom closet off of the cafeteria, or not cafeteria, but off of the lunchroom. And when I first got there, my biggest problem was that I didn't have the proper electricity going into the server room. Things were constantly going down. The room was constantly overheating and my servers were crashing like crazy. And so it's just shows you the difference in the value of what they valued, right? They valued what was printed on the postcards and not what was in the server room that held all the data and where the real value in their organization was. That's fascinating. And yet, you know, I think the, the personal touch of the postcard or something coming through the actual mail is really coming back in an interesting way. Although it's using the big data that we have and the accessibility that we have where they can really customize individually according to different clients' interests, needs, the relationship, the context to be able to really nurture relationships in a totally different way. So as you described that, it made me think, well, there's some value to that. I mean, clearly that was something that their clients really appreciated. There's some other pieces that they certainly needed to adapt to, but maybe there's something to that postcard or the the mail piece. Oh, you're exactly right. Going back to AI, right? In those databases is a lot of information about the vehicles and the customers, or the vehicle owners, the customers that they had. And our goal was to start sending out much more personalized communications. So where before they might send out a communication that was primarily paper on a postcard that would have a picture of just any vehicle in it and some comment about what they needed. By the time we finished with all the systems that we put in, now they could send out communication, but it could go in a various different forms of media. Yes, it could go on a postcard, but it could also go in a text. It could go in a video, go in an email, right? There's lots of different ways for us to reach them. And it would be very personalized. It would have a picture of their exact vehicle. It would have that vehicle placed in a setting that was something that they did. If we knew that they were an outdoor person that liked camping, it would might be at a campsite. If we knew that they liked football or whatever, it might be at a football stadium. So they were very personalized messages. And yes, people do want to be marketed to that way. And that was part of the transformation that they had to do. Rather than sending out a generalized piece of mail, we would send out a very specialized personal communication that could come in a variety of different formats and different media. I love it. I love it. That's really taking advantage of the, of the technology at hand. I'm going to hold us right there for a moment so we can have a quick word from our sponsor. And we'll be right back with Linda Roth from LJR Consulting Services. This episode is brought to you by Oscar Wellness. When pain stops, life begins. Oscar Pulse mimics the body's own recovery processes to relieve pain, muscle stiffness, and inflammation using optimized pulsed electromagnetic field technology. PEMF to encourage recovery at a cellular level so you can get back to life. And I got to tell you, this thing works so well, my husband and I are fighting over it. So I highly recommend you take a moment and try it out. They have all kinds of options for checking it out, and they've even given us an opportunity to share a discount with you, $55, by using the 2BU code on the Oscar Wellness site. You can check out the show notes to get more details. 
and we're back. We were just talking about how awesome it is to be able to harness all this data to really customize the customer experience, even when you're dealing with automotive sales and whatnot. There's so many different exciting things that can happen in terms of digital, even for a very touch-based industry. I'm curious, I would like to have a little shift here, Lynn, and talk to you about your story and how you got into this in the first place and sort of what's your experience, your digital journey. Well, it's interesting. I had a very long journey, both in business and digital. I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. My father owned a business that is what fed our family ever since I was a little girl. And I started working with that business, either first at home with my mother on the book work or going into the office by the time I was 11 or 12 years old. So like children grow up with iPads today, I grew up understanding business. (laughs) And so when it came time to go to college, I was definitely going to get a business degree, but I wasn't really interested in the accounting and everything else that everybody was getting. And I sort of fell into the college I was looking at had a new program. Now, this is many decades ago. It had a new program on information technology, and they were recruiting students that didn't know what they wanted to do to go into the IT program. So what the heck? Why not? (laughs) I had absolutely no idea what I was getting into, but it sounded like a good idea. So I did it. I graduated and I was able to land a job at, at the time, Ralston Prina was in St. Louis, where I grew up, one of the two companies that had an updated data center, a state-of-the-art data center. So I went to work there. And then the advantage of being at Ralston was that they also offered a tuition reimbursement. So I went back and got that finance degree that I needed. But I started out as a developer and I, I liked it. But because of my business background and my degrees, they started very quickly getting me into design and analysis and working with the business people because I wasn't just a techie. And so I had a few full-time jobs. I moved to California. I worked at Hughes Helicopters when they were building the Apache. So I was responsible for all the systems on the Apache. I went to work for a software company. Uh, At the time, it was a mainframe software company. And that's when I got the software bug. In the mid-80s, I managed to get two other partners together, and we started a software firm. And the whole purpose of starting that software firm was to build an informa- what today would be a business intelligence app. It was on a mainframe application, and we had to bootstrap that company when nobody gave money to IT companies. Nobody. As a matter of fact, they'd look at you, you know, like you were the devil because there was, they would just tell you they had no value. There was nothing they could lend on. So we bootstrapped it by getting a couple of our first clients to hire us as a consulting firm. And then we built an application and we kept adding on to it. But technology started changing in the early 90s. My partners and I disagreed on what to do. So I was odd man out. I knew they were wrong, but I was odd man out. So I left and started my consulting business. And I just started first off, started out managing large company, large IT projects. And, you know, there was digital transformation going on then, not like we think of it today, but you were moving from mainframes into the personal computers and into servers that were going out. There was a lot of upheaval going even in the 90s. It was all internal, but there was still a lot of upheaval. And so I got into that and Then as I kept going, and of course, I stay up on all the technology and the business, more and more companies came to me because they didn't know what to do about what was going on once you got into the early 2000s about what was going on. So it just one client after another. And traditionally, I've just been helping just one client at a time. 
And I'm starting to change my practice so that I can help more clients at one time. Well, it's very much needed at this stage. So I think the more people that you can reach, the better. So can you give some tips for companies that are really struggling with this transformation? Are there a couple things that stand out for you that you do consistently with every client? Yes. The first thing that I do when I go in is I don't want to look at technology. I want to look at the business. I want to understand who their customers are. I want to understand what they think their benefit is and what their offering is, and then start looking at how life has changed today, how customers want to be marketed to, how they want to be able to buy, and then what other technologies might be available to make the company more efficient. Because you have to look at all those different areas, right? We're using new technology to become much more efficient. We're using new technology in order to provide more information about the business and their clients. And then we're using new technology to provide new ways to reach out to more customers than you had before. So client I'm working with right now, they don't have an online presence at all. Now they're one of the ones that we have to build the foundation first, but once we get the foundation in, they need to start looking at how are they going to move and have an online presence. And we'll probably start initially with just giving current customers the ability to come in and just do simple things like order again, something that they've ordered before, or look at where their order is in the process. And these are things that, you know, most companies did 15 years ago or so. This company hasn't done it yet. And the kind of industry they're in, it's not going to be real fast, but we'll keep moving them up. So that's, that's the first thing I do. And I would say to any company, no matter who you're using, that's the approach you have to take. You have to evaluate the business, not the technology. The problem I have with a lot of technical people that go in, they're just like, oh, well, let's do this and let's do this and let's do that. And it may not be the right thing. It's so funny that I was interviewed on a podcast earlier today and I just had that same conversation. We were talking about productivity and they were saying, well, what tools? And I said, Let's not look at the tools. Let's see what you already got first. And you need to look at your business strategy and map it all out and get rid of all the redundancies first. (laughs) So, right. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think it's such an important thing to be able to come in and help people. Some of them just need some handholding. Some of them need some restructuring. But a lot of it is just uh, finding a way to navigate and helping provide a roadmap, it seems. Because the tools, that's kind of the easy part. Right. The tools are the easy part. It's how are they going to navigate and also helping them feel comfortable. So many leaders in especially mid-market businesses, mid-market businesses, most of them have money to spend on this, but they don't have money to waste. And a lot of the companies I've gone into, I'm like the second or third person they've brought in and they have already wasted a lot of money. And so you have to be very careful in terms of laying out what they're going to do so you make sure they don't keep wasting money. Because I think that's their bigger fear. It's twofold. One, that they're going to waste a lot of money and not get anything out of it. And two, that what they're going to do is not going to bring in the value they expect it to, or it's not going to help them with improving their profitability or reaching more customers or making their customers more happy. And so those are things that we have to address. And also, as you know, the employee side of it. You have to be very careful about this with the employees. Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you work with a whole team or are you working independently? Well, I I have a team. Sometimes it's my own team. Other times it's a team I build and also bringing in teams with 
the customer. I never want to go in and have it just all me and my people without it being buy-in with the customer so, or with the client. So I want to have executives from the client being involved in the projects we're looking at and them to buy into it. I'm very much a believer in you can get a lot done if you don't care who takes the credit. Mm-hmm. And I want the client to think by the end of the day that everything we've done was their idea. And then I do bring in teams of people, some companies, I, well, almost every client, I end up building up some of their own teams. So it's a combination. Yeah. So it's, it requires having a network and, and I'm sure you've built up some great relationships over the years with some good experts. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And, and they most of the time come through for me. So it's been great. In order to do all of these things, you must be a very busy lady. What do you do to make sure that you have a digital life balance and that you're able to balance all of these things and still be healthy and, and thrive? Well, that's a really good question because it is a big challenge, Heidi. So part of my move from being out in California back to St. Louis was to help me with that balance because I'm closer to family now and friends that I've had. And I make sure to carve out that time. It's a little bit easier working at home rather than being out in an office all the time. So that's been one way I've been doing it. And then all my life and my career, I have always done a lot of exercising and being outside. I used to be a long distance bike rider. That's Mm kind of hard to do in the Midwest. (laughs) It was much easier in California, but I do make sure I get out and exercise all the time too. So that that's how I do life work balance. Just try and schedule it. That's great. And so do you and in terms of like more specifically on the digital, do you have particular practices or boundaries that you use for your own technology to make sure that you get sort of the quality interactions that you desire from your community? Well, you mean in, like in terms of I I do use social media. I have a large LinkedIn following. And I keep LinkedIn and Facebook very separate. A lot of people have started merging Facebook in with their business. And Facebook for me is just for my family and friends, very close friends. LinkedIn is where I want to connect with everybody else that I work with in the business world. And as you and I have talked about, I'm getting started with launching my own podcast. And I think that'll be helpful in terms of using the technology myself. I can start helping more clients at a time than what I do today. And so I think that's an, that's another one of them. And then, of course, I just stay up on everything that's going in and I buy more computers and computer equipment than I can possibly imagine. You know, I've, I've got my tablet. When iPads first came out, everybody was laughing at me and my family because they had an iPad and I didn't. And I said, well, I'm not going to get a tablet until a tablet can be a replacement for my laptop. I want a tablet that I can run all my Windows applications on. I want a tablet that's got a USB port in it so that I can connect with USB and things that are on a USB drive. So I waited until Surface came out. I've had three Surfaces so far, and that's my traveling companion now. And it's much easier than trying to drag a seven-pound laptop around. Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely, there's something nice about the tablet for that. I find I use the tablet as a as entertainment only, and I use my computer for for work. That's my sort of separation thing. Because if I start Ah. doing entertainment on my computer, then the two worlds just collide. That's what I try to do anyway. I can't say I'm perfect at it, but certainly try. (laughs) Well, that's good. And unlike you, I like to use this tablet for my entertainment too. How can people find you? I know you have a, a website. Yes, I have a website. It's LJR 
consultingservices.com. Are you also on LinkedIn? Are there other places that they can, do you have a blog or anything like that that people can follow if they want to see what you're doing? Yes, the blog is on the website. There's a tab for the blog on the website. It's called Hidden Profits Blog. And so that's on the website. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn as Linda J. Roth. They can find me there. Okay, great. Well, we'll make sure that people find you when your podcast goes live. We'll make sure to add it to the show notes. Until then, do you have any closing words or bits of wisdom that you can pass on to our listeners today? I guess just my closing words would be, don't be afraid of technology. Love it. That's perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today, Linda. It's been a pleasure having you on The Evolving Digital Self. We look forward to catching up with you listeners again sometime soon. Until then, bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us for The Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self-spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self-Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.